This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey, everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat. Glad to be back with you. Uh, give you my first taste of uh, Georgia football spring practice and some catch-up news on the women's basketball and baseball and softball. But first, I want to tell you about this call I was just on, and it really kind of got my my juices going, right? So the college football playoff committee uh, has a PR guy named Brett Daniels who who pretty much runs the show. And tonight we had a teleconference with some sports writers about what should the format look like moving forward in terms of, you know, the types of interviews and when coaches are available and how many players they need to bring. Because the college football playoff committee uh, – pays the money for these schools to go. So they make the rules. So it was great to have the opportunity uh, to kind of weigh in and say, hey, this is what we liked. This is what worked well. This is what the fans got the most out of. You know, last year, I think about the media day that we had in Los Angeles before the championship game. And you guys remember those interviews I did with Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff and Gunnar Stockton. And, you know, just how redeeming that was to hear those young guys talk about their future with Georgia, why they were hanging around, what Todd Munkin meant to them, stories that hadn't been told all season. And so uh, on the one hand, that was good from a media standpoint. But on the other hand, just the thought that in, wow, two years, less than two years, we're really going to have a 12-team playoff. It's really happening. This is the last year of the four-team playoff. Seems like it just got here, right? We, We did the BCS thing. Through what 2013, I think was the last year uh, that you had the two team playoff, and then 2014 it went to four teams, and here we are now. It's you know 2024. There's going to be a 12 team playoff. It's going to be so exciting. Oklahoma and Texas will be joining the league. We don't know what Georgia's SEC schedule will look like. My guess is there'll be a nine game schedule. Um, They want to make that ESPN package more attractive so they can pay these schools even more money, more money for the coaches, uh, you know, more money in the football facilities, more NIL money, more base salaries for players. Players make some players make 16,000 a month. Did you know that just base salary? Forget the NIL. Uh, This is like where it's at right now, but 2024 uh, you're going to have a 12 team playoff. And I, I hadn't looked at what last year would have looked like had there been a 12-team playoff. But just to give you some idea, and I know you've heard it, but I think it helps illustrate it if you actually fill the teams in the blank. So the four teams that are going to get a bye are going to be the top four ranked conference champions as ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. That is not changing. The College Football Playoff Committee is going to remain in effect. So last year's top four teams would have been Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Clemson 3, and Utah 4. Not necessarily the four highest-ranked teams, right, but the four highest-ranked conference teams. So already it's going to be way, way different. The first-round games would have been TCU playing host to Washington in – where are they at? Dallas. 
excuse me, Fort Worth. The second game would have been Ohio State playing host to Penn State. Well, that's kind of boring, and it makes me think the committee might have changed the rankings just a little bit, might have tweaked them a little bit to avoid that Big Ten rematch. The third game would have been Alabama playing host to USC. That would have been interesting. And then you would have had Tennessee playing host to Kansas State. That's how it would have looked last year had they applied the 12-team playoffs to the college football playoff standings. So pretty interesting to me. Um, don't forget, those first-round games are on campus. And there's some talk after, I think, 24-2024 and 2025, we're going to have this model. There's some talk, well, what about the New Year's Six Bowls? Will they still be the site of the second-round games? You know, for the next two years, they will. We're going to have to see how it works with these college campuses hosting games. going to be very, very Yep. Sorry for the uh, the delay there and a little technical difficulty there. So, but you think about how this is going to look and it's going to look completely different than it does now. I mean, just the thought of games being on campus and one of the things that came up was just the logistics of it. Uh, you know, on this particular call, they had someone from Penn State on. How in the world is anybody going to stay close to Penn State? It's not. There's not a very big airport in State College. Most of the major cities are two or three hours away. Same with Athens. They can forget about it. Nobody's going to be around Athens. Everybody's going to be in Atlanta, right? But talking on that call and thinking about 2024, um, just how different college football is going to look, I think it's a good thing. I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be fun. I think the regular season still matters. Um. I believe the regular season still matters a great deal because you want to be one of those teams that gets the bye. Only four teams are going to get a bye, and you want to be one of those teams. So um, I think Georgia obviously will be a future playoff team like forever and ever under Kirby. So uh, it's going to be exciting for Georgia fans. They're going to have an opportunity to probably travel eventually to some campuses if Georgia's not in the top four. They're going to have an opportunity to host big games at Sanford Stadium. I think you're going to see more and more work done to modernize Sanford Stadium. Uh, more work is already underway and planned for the next two years. You've got, what, $40 more million going into this stadium. So the future of college football, and particularly Georgia, extremely bright. And being on that call tonight, 
with uh, with those other writers talking about 2024 and the logistics. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. Speaking of 2024, Georgia opens the 2024 season against Clemson in Atlanta, neutral site game. And how convenient is it that Kirby Smart hired Brandon Streeter, the former Clemson offensive coordinator that was there from 2015 to 2020? Kirby knows him. Kirby prepared Alabama defenses to play this guy. So obviously he thinks a lot of Brandon Streeter, also Texas A&M. Daryl Dickey, Dickey's been around a long, long time, most recently at AM over these last, what, three or four years, I suppose. Uh, Dickey, also a guy that's worked with Mike Norvell. I like this because it's institutional knowledge. And if you're Kirby and you've got the money to spend and just throw hundreds of thousands of dollars at these guys, you do it. This is your winning edge because with Buster Faulkner leaving the program, that's going to be some Georgia institutional knowledge that just went out the door. With Dan Lanning at Oregon, right? With Mel Tucker at Michigan State, with Sam Pittman at Arkansas, with Shane Beamer at South Carolina, other programs now learning how Georgia does things, just like all those former Nick Saban assistants left. And everywhere it kind of goes out and, and applies a lot of the same principles and a lot of the same practice drills, scheduling of Nick Saban, and now Kirby Smart. Because Kirby Smart is kind of the master of modern-day football, of this NIL in terms of how Georgia's managing this. Certainly, Georgia's been the best at preparing players for the NFL the last three or four years. So a lot of institutional knowledge going out the door, but some coming in. I like these hires. I like that Georgia has a former Dabo assistant. Dabo Sweeney is a fantastic football coach. He's a first ballot Hall of Fame coach. And Jimbo Fisher, even though he's struggled of late, Jimbo's a really good football coach as well, won that national title at Florida State, and uh, just a really good football mind. So these are new ideas that are coming in the building. These are ideas and, and people, good football people with great backgrounds for Kirby to bounce some things off of and really, I think, really round out the Georgia football program. So that news happened today about Georgia hiring those coaches as analysts for the Bulldogs. So that's big news. That's good news. That's great momentum for Georgia football. I think they come at a good time with Mike Bobo in there as a new offensive coordinator. There's going to be a lot of carryover for Georgia from what they did under Todd Munkin, obviously. But there was carryover before from James Coley and Jim Chaney. You know, something Munkin said really stands out to me when he said, you know, when you're an offensive coordinator, you work for the head coach. And it's really the head coach's offense. You just work within it and bring ideas. And I think that's true. I don't think Kirby Smart gets near enough credit for the offensive success. We know he's a defensive guru, but he's also a guy that works closely with the offensive staff and kind of game plans. He's able to really um, – give them an idea how defenses will defend and bounce things off them. So, I mean, this is Kirby Smart's program. Make no mistake about it. Not just defense, but offense as well. And I think bringing in these new minds is going to be really good. Now, before I go to my halftime break, I do want to touch real quickly on the Georgia women's basketball team. And Dog Nation, we don't cover them throughout the season. We, we don't have that personnel to staff every game. But I was really fortunate to watch them over the weekend I'm going to tell you, I am really impressed with this coach, Katie Abrahamson Henderson, uh, Coach Abe, they call her, and Diamond Battles, this outgoing senior. 
I mean, these teams, that team really battled in the NCAA tournament. I was really blown away with how hard that they played. And they lost at Iowa, but I think they would have won that game if it was played anywhere but Iowa. So uh want to take our halftime break right now. And when we come back, I'm going to talk more Georgia football with you. Uh, got a guest trying to get on. I'll ask Michael Carbell if the message is coming through. Hopefully we get our guest on. But right now, let's take a short break and let's recognize our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program. Mike Griffith here. Hope everybody is having a great Monday night. Appreciate everyone on Ingles on the Beat trying to, like I said, trying to work our guest in. Hopefully we'll be able to get him in here in a second. Uh, second half of the show, I wanted to talk a little bit about the early practice observations. And, you know, we've only got to see one practice. And at that, it was a lot of, um, oh, gosh, I don't know. I would say uh, routes on air, shorts and shoulder pads. But three things I noticed and, and three things I took note of is I think you're going to see more 11 personnel. Last year, you saw a ton of double tight end. You know, with what Darnell Washington was able to bring as a dual threat, it really made sense for Georgia to do that. Uh, and, and who could really cover Darnell Washington? Big zero, six foot seven, 280-pound guy could block like an offensive tackle, but also fantastic at catching the football. Made matchups very difficult. Uh, and then the other thing I noticed – uh, more offensive run plays for the quarterback. So I think Kirby, when he mentioned he wanted mobility, I don't think he just wants it. I think he's going to insist on it. So, you know, think what you want about how that might affect things with Carson Beck, uh, with Brock Vandergriff, a guy with a lot of mobility, Gunnar Stockton, going to be very interesting. And then the third thing, we've yet to hear from Jamon Dumas-Johnson. And really, Jamon Dumas-Johnson, the heartbeat of this team. Obviously, JDJ had that off-the-field incident. Uh, you wonder when Kirby is going to bring him back in front of the media and let that young guy address that. There's so many dynamics for these football teams, so much for the team chemistry, and I think it's going to be really important for Georgia moving forward to have those leaders out front and center. So uh, we were able to get our guest in here, and I want to introduce – uh, Terry Rubisky. Terry's a former NFL coach. We saw him in an interim head coaching position with Cleveland. You might know him best from his time with Cle with uh, the Atlanta Falcons. He's been with the Buffalo Bills, six or seven other programs. And Terry, I really appreciate you joining us tonight. Um, you know how we met was just kind of kind of a lark. We'll, we'll leave that story behind. But the main thing <laughs> is, I want to bring this NFL mind on the show because we're at that part of the game where we're reading all these NFL draft forecasts and all these supposed experts. And I always tell them, man, there ain't no way these NFL teams are shooting straight with these writers. So I'll guess I'll ask you as somebody that's been in the war room, 
What do we make of all the Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShays and all those reports that we see out there? Well, the, the, the big thing about it, Mike, I'm happy to be on the show with you. The one thing I'll say is the guys that you call is you know, it's kind of the guys we say that's top. Those are the top guys in the class. Those guys are the ones when when you get Mel Kuyper and those guys come on and talk, those Todd McShay, those guys, those guys are legit. I mean, they're absolutely legit. And yeah, they've got their sources of information, but I got to ask you, Coach, I wonder sometimes, you know, how many teams are really going to tell them where they think they want to take a guy like Jalen Carter? Everybody, oh, we don't want him, we don't want him. I mean, you probably know a bit about that story. You've seen that Jalen had some off-the-field issues. We did see that he settled his case, and there won't be any jail time. That's pretty important, I would imagine, as these teams evaluate. What are your thoughts on – Jalen Carter and how are NFL teams evaluating him right now? Again, I think first and foremost, uh, the game has changed. Let's let's admit that as far as off the field activities, the game has changed quite a bit. However, I don't think the game has changed that much. I mean, we could go back, Mike, as far as you want to go back. There's been guys that have come into the draft that have been a little bit questionable, but very, very talented, very outstanding football players. We're talking about another guy that's a very talented football player. Uh, you know, he did a little something. We've got to slap him on his wrist. And uh, again, he's coming from that's the thing you asked me when you and I talked on the phone. The guy is coming from a top notch football program. He's coming from a very respectable school, a very respectable head coach, a very, very respectable program. So everybody will say, absolutely. You know, hey, he screwed up a little bit. Let's slap him on his wrist and let the young man grow up and become a man and move on. He's a great football player. People are thinking of a little bit about what he did from a society standpoint. It'll bother some people, but from a whole, it won't bother them people. When you got a guy that uh, you're sitting there and you're saying you get ready to draft him and give him $35, $40 million to come be the, the face of the program, he, he'll he be one of those guys. He's a guy that you want to come in there and do it. And again, I, you know, I don't want to call out people's name, but I can take you back to the history of the games. It's a lot of guys that's in Canton, Ohio, that came out of college that needed a little slap on the wrist. And and I can give you a handful of them at a bat of an eye. You know what I mean? <laughs> a lot of guys are questionable guys. Uh, they did a little something. Something happened to them. They junior year, they senior year. But when they got to the NFL, and uh, again, we looked at the fact that they was coming from a good program. And, and again, like I said, is you guys got that in Georgia. You guys have got class people. You know, I've had a ton of you guys. You know, I've had the Heinz Ward and the, the Champ Bailey and – the Ben Watson, I've had them all. I've been around them all. You know what I mean? And we know this young man is coming from that same school, that same background. It's not an issue. It, it won't be an issue. People will talk about it. But at the end of the day, somebody that's trying to win and go be up there with Kansas City Chief and trying to win the Super Bowl, they'll they'll take him. I mean, they'll they'll take him and, and just kind of groom him and go. And it's all because of his background. It's all because of his background and his educational background. Talking to Terry Rubisky. Terry, of course, was an All-SEC running back at LSU back in the day. Some of you might remember that. Uh, also played for the Oakland Raiders and the Miami Dolphins in the NFL. And then, of course, as a coach, a uh, long time with the Raiders, uh, along with the Redskins, the Browns, going through your resume, uh, Atlanta, obviously, and Tennessee Titans, Buffalo Bills, Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, you know, coaches that can get it done, they kind of stick around. And, you know, when the head coach gets fired, everybody, nobody thinks about that. All the right. assistants are like, okay, now what? The head coaching, if you know your stuff and you're a good coach, somebody else 
going to pick you up that institutional knowledge. And, you know, Terry, I'm seeing more and more of that at the college game. I was just talking about this a moment ago with Kirby Smart going out there and hiring a former Clemson offensive coordinator and a former Texas A&M. I mean, you've been in the room. I mean, when they bring those guys in, you've been one of those guys. When they bring them in, does that new head coach go, all right, how did you guys do A, B, C, D? Yeah, when the whole thing comes in, and, and, and basically whenever you bring in a new guy, everybody wants to understand what it is. The great thing, again, that uh, when you go back and look at the history of, as you said, the the great coaches, Kirby is one of them guys. You know, Kirby is, you know, getting getting this thing going, and he's got the thing going the right direction. He could bring in as many new guys as he wants to. They'll tweak a couple things. They may add a couple things, but as a whole – they're not going to change the program. They're not going to change what Kirby's doing. Kirby's that guy. Coach Saban down in Alabama is that guy. They could bring in as many new coaches as they want to. They can basically sit down and say, hey, let's change this, and I want to change that. But they're going to make that guy come in. If he's a great coach, he's going to fit. You know, he's going to fit. They'll make him adapt to what they're doing, their system, how they're doing it, how they're getting it done. And again, a guy like Kirby, I, I kind of look at Kirby now in, in, in Georgia, and I, I watch him and I watch what they're doing, and he makes me think a lot about that guy Andy Reid in Kansas City. You know what I mean? Uh, they just, you could tell they're great coaches, but they're great because they're never they're never satisfied. They're never sitting on their hands and said, okay, I got this. I got one. I got two. You know, it's okay. We just do it. Let's ride on the sunset. No, no, no. Kirby's always looking for a way to evolve, always trying to keep it loose, trying to keep it friendly, trying to keep his guys relaxed, and he's consistently trying to win one more. You know, forget them two I've got. Let's go get one more. Let's go get it. And at the end of the day, you know, I think the guy's trying to uh, – he's trying to be a Phil Jackson. He's trying to leave with about 20 of them. You know, by the time I leave – by the time I leave Georgia, I want 20 of them. And if he's got to add a guy that's got to bring in some new, fresh ideal, he's going to consistently do that. That's going to happen. That's going to happen all the time. That's what great coaches do. No doubt. And Dr. Terry, you told me a really uh, cool story about Heinz Ward, and, and I want you to share it with the audience. I think that's probably where a lot of your uh, passion and respect from Georgia comes from. Uh, interesting, because you don't usually hear a coach on the other team uh, compliment a guy like Heinz, but you saw firsthand. Uh, if you want to share that that story, I thought it was a pretty good one. Yeah, and like I told you, the, the conversation we had, Mike, I've had a great, I've had great experiences with a lot of great players from Georgia. I, I went to LSU. And, of course, when I was at LSU, we hated Georgia, you know. And, of course, I was a running back at LSU. I hated Herschel, you know, and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, as time moved on and I moved on to become a coach, uh, I've crossed paths with a lot of them. Uh, and Hines was basically, I, I'd like to say he was my first, and it was no question in my mind, uh, he is the first Georgia player I fell in love with. I fell in love with Champ Bailey. Today I, I love Ben Watson. But Hines was, was my first. And, 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 you know, when they say it can only be one first, you know, so I'm, I'm coaching and I'm coaching, I'm coaching at the senior bowl. I'm coaching uh, down there. We done the senior bowl in mobile and uh, you know, it's, it's great. I'm having a great time and I'm coordinating and putting it together and I'm coaching the receivers. And I've always walked into every coaching room. I don't care when I had Julio Jones and Roddy White in Atlanta, I walk in the meeting room and I always tell my guys, like my grandfather told me, if you was a carpenter building a house, you know, would you ever go to that job without a hammer and a nail and a, and a sack? No, because you can't do it. So I always told my receivers, I always told my players, don't ever come to my meeting without a pen, a paper, a pencil. You got to have something to write on and you got to have something to write in. And you take down notes and you write down everything I say, because this is what's coming from the book. And I want you to know it like the back of your hand. 
So I always give him that tough speech. You know what I mean? So we get out <laughs> of the senior bowl. Everybody checks in that. Everybody checks in that senior bowl. And senior bowl is a little smaller book. It's not a full book, but it's you know it's got a lot of things in it. So I get in that book. First day I met all these guys. You know, Heinz Ward, them guys in there. Walk in that room. I said, "Okay, guys, listen to me now. I don't ever want you to come to these meetings." without a pencil and a paper and a book in your hand. Every day you come here, we're going to be here for four or five days. You bring something, you take notes. Y'all got me? Everybody looking at me laughing, Heinz Ward looking at me and just looking right through me. Ain't paying me no mind, you know. The next day we go to the meeting room. I'm up at the board and I'm writing something on the board and I wrote something wrong. And Heinz Ward said, oh, oh excuse me, coach. Uh, um, that's, that's not right. That's not what's in the playbook. And I said, how do you know? You don't even have your playbook. You don't even have a note tablet. I told you don't come in here without a note tablet. How do you know? <laughs> He said, Coach, I know everything you got in that book from the first day installed. I got it. And what you put on that board is wrong. The guy ain't never brought a tablet, a pencil, or a notebook to my meeting. He never came in there with his playbook. The guy knew everything that was in that playbook. By the time we got to the game on, on, on Saturday night, he was telling the other guys what to do. I'm like, what, what is this guy? Is he human? I can't believe this guy. The guy didn't make a single mistake the entire week. How he knew it and how he figured it out, I got no idea. But now all of a sudden, me and him have got to be friends, and I'm coaching in Cleveland. I'm the interim head coach, and he's with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But anyway, I'm the interim head coach in Cleveland, and, you know, we're going to play the Steelers, and I'm telling my guys, you know, all the DBs, hey, guys, you know, watch this guy, Heinz Ward, man. He's tough. He's tough. So one of our little safeties is talking about him. You know, oh, Heinz Ward trying to be tough, the tough guy from Georgia. But if he come mess with me, it's going to be a fight. So I go down to the I go down to the DB room. That little that little DB just talking to the press, you know, talking, talking, talking. I say, hey, 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 man, listen, this is a week for you to be quiet. I say, you don't want to, you don't want to mess with that guy. You know that old thing, don't don't wake up the sleeping bear. I say, this this isn't the guy. Don't don't mess with that guy. Leave that leave that guy alone. I know him well. He just talking. Oh, coach, if you scared of him, you scared of him. We ain't scared. I ain't scared of him. I ain't scared of him. So, okay, all right, okay. I mean, about the second play of the game, Hines is lined up at Z, and he's on the right-hand side of the field, right by our bench. We all can see him close. And the, the safety drop in is a run to the right, and the safety drops in to make the tackle, and Hines Ward goes down and crack block just the way we coach it. And he goes down, and Mikey hit that guy, and he knocked him so high in the air off his feet that the guy was up in the air about 10 feet. Hines turned to the sideline and told the trainer, come get him before he hit the ground. Come get him. <laughs> He knew when he hit that guy, Mike, he knew he had knocked him out. The guy was still up in the air, and he looked at the <laughs> sideline and told the trainer, come get him, come get him. And sure enough, he knocked him out. We had to go get him, give him some smelling sauce, wake him up. About about Tuesday or Wednesday that later that week, I said, I told you, find another one. Don't mess with that one. <laughs> oh, man, Coach. I bet, you know, all those years, Coach. Man. All those years coaching the NFL, and, and I know it's only been a, a, a bit that you've been out. I mean, what are, what are you going to miss most uh, about coaching in the NFL? And did you ever contemplate going back to the college ranks? Okay, so, Mike, I never, I've never coached in college. That's what I tell people, either fortunate or unfortunate. But I've never coached college football as a part of me that I really wish I had. Uh, I started off, I got drafted by a guy named Al Davis that owned the Raiders. And then I played for him. I played for the Dolphins. When I left, the Dolphins got cut. I was going back, hopefully going back to LSU to coach. And Al Davis called and said, you ought to come, come with me. I got something for you. And then I went to him and he said, hey, if you stick with me long enough, he said, I'll make you pretty good at this. You'll be a pretty good assistant coach. And believe it or not, 41 years later, 
I got inducted in the Hall of Fame. So as an assistant coach, so he knew what he was talking about. And the one thing I'll tell you, when you ask me, Terry, you know, you're out of it, you've been out of it, what are you going to miss? I'm going to miss Heinz Ward. I'm going to miss Champ Bailey. I'm going to miss being in a room, being in a locker room, being in a uh, in an office. Uh, I miss sitting in that room with Heinz Ward and, and, and listening to him and watching him and talking to him, you know. I miss a guy like Champ Bailey, who I had in Washington, D.C. One more time, I had him in Washington, D.C. Champ Bailey was there with me. He was a defensive back. Came out of the draft, top top nice guy, a classy human being, just a great individual. I'm on the other side of the ball, coaching receivers. Me and him fall in love. I turned over and become the interim head coach. The first game I interim head coach, I said, "Come here, man." I said, "I'm putting you on my side of the ball on the offense." I said, "I'm gonna put you on the other side of the ball. Let you play some offense, play some receiver." Put him at receiver. We threw him about three balls, about four balls, two times. I lined him up in the backfield. We pitched one to him on the right hand side. I said, "Champ." We're going to pitch it to you. The tackle going to pull and lead you around. I said, you follow him, man. He'll get you in the end zone. We pitch it to him. He was so scared. He took off running. He ain't wait for tackle or nobody else. Shoom. <laughs> he just outraced everybody to the flag. And he will tell you, if you go watch his Hall of Fame speech talking about me, as the only offensive touchdown he scored in his 40-year career, that's the only offensive touchdown he scored. And he loved me. He tell people, he said, the only guy that was – had a great eye for my talent was Coach Terry Rubisky. He knew I could score a touchdown, so he put. <laughs> so I loved him. Those are the things that I miss. I miss that being in that room with those guys. I, you know, I don't miss the X's and O's. I don't miss the. I don't miss fussing with the owner, and I don't miss Kirby yelling at me if I did something wrong with my players. I don't miss that stuff, you know. But sitting in the room and talking with guys like Heinz Ward, watching a guy like Heinz Ward get drafted in the second, third round, I believe watching that guy get drafted in the third round, develop every day, every week, get better, work hard, work hard, get better, and become a Hall of Fame football player. That's the part I miss, and that's the part I'm going to miss the rest of my life. I'm going to miss the players and the players that I took, in my mind, that I took, and they became better men, and better men on the field, off the field, and I became a better coach. That's the, that's the part I miss, and that's the part I'm going to always miss. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, you think about the guys you worked with and the way you're able to develop. It makes me wonder how you're able to find these guys. Now, some guys, like you mentioned, Jalen Carter, they kind of jump out on film. They're a little bit more noticeable than others. But I've always wondered by the time we get to the Senior Bowl, I know to some extent a lot of the hay is in the barn, so to speak. But how much can really be tweaked, adjusted of a guy's draft stock once they show up at the Senior Bowl Combine? How would you say – those uh, those part parts of the NFL draft evaluation process, how do they kind of work into the equation for teams that are evaluating their draft? That thing there is a real science. It's a, it's a real, real science. And people, I don't think people sit down and look at it today, you know, as close as we did, or as close as I learned to from Al Davis. You know, I told you about, uh, I told you about Heinz Watt, you know, Heinz Watt quarterback should have been a probably a first round, second round pick. Uh, ben Watson, I think, first-round pick, right? Champ Billy, first-round pick. You guys had a guy that was playing for you guys' name, I think, Chris Conley. Why yeah. see, right? Right? Chris Conley came out. Uh, nobody knew him. Nobody knew too much about him. Nobody knew a lot about him. But I watched Chris on tape, and I had a secret I found on him that uh, nobody else has ever noticed about him. And I went back to my scouting department, and we sitting down talking. I said, let me show you all a little something about this guy. So I showed him something about Chris. I'm a receiver coach, right, Mike? So here's my deal. We generally run routes, and when we're running our routes, we count steps. And we always say if we run an outcut, which is a three route, 
It's the third inside. That thing should be planting about uh, not if you're running fast. When you hit nine and a half, maybe nine and three quarters, you break right. You ought to be about you know nine, about almost ten yard deep. Chris was so so fast and so long with his stride. Chris Conley is the only man I could see that went over ten yards with that third step. We always ran a skinny post. When you run a skinny post, you count it off the fourth outside. The fourth outside generally hits about twelve yard deep. Chris was about 13 and a quarter. He's one of the few guys I'd ever seen can stride it that long and hit it and run. I knew right then Chris Conley had a hidden talent that a lot of people didn't know about because I was the only guy that, that saw that in our room. I went and worked him out, and I saw exactly at the workout, exactly what I thought. And I said, this guy's got some talent. He's going to make it. So there's always a little bit something in there you could see on a guy that people don't know. If you just know what you're looking for, you know how to study it. You can find it. It's very, very scientific, and uh, you know a lot of times a lot of people will miss because of something like that. You know they don't they don't realize. You know he can. It's just like a defensive back. You know even like Chambelli. If a receiver takes an inside release and a DB jamming with the inside hand, that's a terrible mistake. You can't do it. It's impossible. If he goes inside, you better jam with the outside off hand because if you catch that inside hand, he's gonna beat you. Same thing with outside release. And if you're watching a corner and you realize he's jamming with the wrong hand. You got a chance. You'll kill him. And I've had I've had Julio Jones just run by a lot of guys because that DB had that one little technique that he didn't get. He didn't get it right. He's jamming with the wrong hand. You know, we got him, you know. So this draft process is very, very technical. It's a lot to it. It's very scientific. But again, like I said, I think today people are going so fast through it. But I think the big thing today, Mike, is everybody is focused on that number one draft or that number two, that number three. I don't think people worry about or look forward to the number fourth pick making it, you know, he got drafted in the fourth round. If he make it, okay. If he don't make it a fifth round, you know, I think in today's football, a guy like Tom Brady would have a hard time making it, you know, six round draft. Pick. People don't look at him. They don't, they don't look at him and work with him and try to make him better. Try to make him a pro bowl player. The greatness for me was when you gave me a guy that was a six round pick, I'm going to see if I can make him a second round pick. You gave me a guy. Everybody know that first round. I got a chance. He's going to be a good player. You know, I want that guy that we're going to take in the fourth round, the fifth round, the sixth round. And then by the time I finish with him, somebody said, God, darn it, we should have took him in the second round. Man, he should have been a first round pick. You know, I want highs what? I want that guy that we got in the third round. And when I finished with him, he said, Terry, do me a favor. Can you come in and announce me in the Hall of Fame? Can you come and put me in? That's the guy I want. You know what I mean, Mike? So yeah. that, that draft thing is very scientific. It's very, very, uh, it's very specific. Uh, I just don't know if they detail it as much these days as we did back in the day. I just don't know if there's that much detail to it, but it's a very, uh, it's a lot played into it, you know, and going to the senior bowl is a big plus, but the other side of that too is the program, you know, the program coming from like today, Georgia's hot, man. Georgia's got it going. Georgia's one of the top programs in the country. They've all been, always been one of the top, but now they show why, you know, and we know that, Hey, if I got a chance to get a guy from, uh, if I got a chance to get, I got two guys that's close. A guy at Mississippi State might be a little bit better, but a guy coming from Georgia, I'm gonna take him because you know what, Kirby and showed him how to win. Kirby and made him a winner. I don't have to do as much with him, you know. What I mean, he's a little more polished. I'm gonna take him, you know. What I mean, the guy, the guy at Mississippi State might be a little bit better, but I'm gonna take that guy that's coming from that better program that's been winning. That ain't sitting there just wanting to be a part of it. He wants to help us win, and he knows how to win. He knows what it takes to win. Kirby and train him. I want that guy. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, those technical things that you talked about, yes. the level of coaching, the level of competition in practice every day. And yes. if you can get through Georgia, I mean, you just yes. look at their starters. Uh, they're all NFL players. you got to be absolutely back, Coach. They had a guy named Channing Tindell that didn't even start that was drafted in the third round by the Dolphins yes. for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing, and you see it for years, man, is uh, guys that's down-the-line guys, but their program is number one, number two, very sharp program, very great program. And, they, and listen, let me say something to you. It isn't just that program from a uh, – it isn't just his program from a technical standpoint, or he's got good technique, or he runs good route, um, um, you know, or he plays good pressing. You know, that, it isn't just that now. It's that guy that I went on that campus, and, I, and I've done that. That's what I've done in my career. I go on that campus to, to, to go to his pro day or something, and I walk around them classrooms, and I'm asking them little girls, how is he in class? I'm asking them guys, how is he in class? And then, you know, you have some girls say, oh, he's a very, he's a wonderful gentleman. Oh, he opened the door for me the other day. You know what I mean? So I, I used to go and walk around the campus and watch them go see where they eat, you know, and then I'd ask questions about him. So when you find out that you're not only getting a player that's technically sound, you're getting a young man that's, 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 that's almost there. You know what I mean? He knows how to open the door. He knows how to say good morning. You know, he knows how to get out of bed, wash his face, brush his teeth and be a gentleman in society. You know what I mean? So I don't have to, I don't have to draft him and worry about where he is at one o'clock in the morning. I know where he's going to be, you know what I mean? Because this is what he's been doing his whole career. And if he did it in college, boy, I know you're going to do it for me because with me, it's going to cost him a lot of money, you know? So that's why I made, I made it, I made it a point to go to the equipment room Go find out how the guy was if, if if pieces of equipment was broke or if you know he didn't his shoes was dirty. How how is he? You know, I go to the training room. How is he when he come get treatment? How is he in the weight room? And then I go to his classrooms and I want to go see one or two of his teachers. But I don't like the teachers because sometimes they want the guys to go. I like to see the classmates that he's been sitting in the class with. And you know, like I said, little girl said, you know, how you storm out of the room? Are you sleeping in my meeting? Coach, he was sleeping in class this morning. He what? What are you doing sleeping? You know what I mean? Uh, he was sleeping. Okay. So I'm going to ask him that. I'm going to ask him that question when I meet with him. Hey, you were sleeping in that science class yesterday? Well, what'd you do? What's, what's, what's wrong with you? Why are you sleeping in class? How you know I'm sleeping in class? How you know that? You know what I mean? Oh, I got eyes everywhere. You know what I mean? So I, I've done it all. It depends on, again, the player and, you know, and how, how much I want him, how much I want to get a hand on him. You know what I mean? The question on, on, you mentioned Tom Brady and why he would have a hard time now. And it does seem like teams are predisposed to, well, if he's a first-round pick, then he's being drafted to be a starter. And if he's a fourth-round pick, then maybe. And if he's a sixth-round pick, he's being drafted to be – and that comes full circle uh, to Stetson Bennett. Now, yeah. I do know that the game is getting spread out more. So yeah. the smaller players in stature, maybe not as frowned upon as they once were when there were more pure pocket players. But right. when you've got a guy that some teams, quite frankly, say or sources have said, you know what? We're just not sure that he has the personality to be a backup. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's kind of part of his success story was that he wasn't willing. But in the NFL, it's a little different. Can you explain that that nuance of how a, all, they're all competitive guys? They were all former starters somewhere. But what is that nuance where a team draws the line and what they're looking for? Because that quarterback position just seems to mean so much to a team's personality and chemistry. Yeah. And that team personality, that 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 personality is the team, and that and that is the team and the organization, you know. And that's that that position you talk about, that 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 quarterback position, 
you know, Mike, that's the most important position of all. I don't care what nobody tell you. You know, they, this guy is the face of, of the organization. This guy is the face of the – I don't care who the face is. If you got a guy that can't do it and can't win and can't get it done at quarterback, you got a problem. You know what I mean? It, it, you got no chance. The thing about that position is just that it's such a fragile position and everybody think they've kind of got a, a, a science. Everybody kind of got an ideal – um, you know, everybody want to sit down and say, this is the ideal guy. You know, Tom Brady is the ideal guy. You know what I mean? And, you know, well, Joe Montana wasn't 6'4", 6'5", you know what I mean? And he he won quite a few of them, you know. It's to me, it's the guy who could fit the Kirby smart system. This is what Kirby want to run. This is what Kirby's going to do. So let's take Kirby now and put him in uh, New York with the Jets. Uh, let's take Kirby and put him in, you know, Chicago or somewhere, put him with the Raiders. And he says, this is the system I'm going to run. That guy, if that guy fits his system and he believe in it and he believe he can make that system go, it's going to work. You know what I mean? And for people to say, you know, a guy like Stitt's coming in, you know, well, you know, Bennett ain't going to make it because Bennett's this and Bennett's that, Bennett's backup, Bennett's. Until you put Ben out there, you can't measure Ben Hart. Nobody can measure his heart, right? And he showed you, he showed you the last two championship games, including the rest of the seasons he showed you, he got the heart to do it, you know what I mean? And and let me tell you this. Again, I know people people like to compare and put this one with this one and this one. And that's one thing Al Davis always told me. Don't never compare him to somebody else. Let him be him and let him go do what he do, you know. But I always kind of look at it and say, well, if that guy did it, he can do it. Because, again, I'm going to tell you something that you and your fans might not remember, but probably about 40-something, 50 years ago, it was a guy named uh, – what was that guy named from the Minnesota Vikings that went to post a guy named Fran Talkington, right? Remember that guy, don't you? I, I knew who I was talking about. I just want to make sure you remember. But that guy there was a little guy too, okay? And um, he went to some school down south. I don't know which one of them school he went to down south. <laughs> and I've seen him. Let me tell you this. I've seen Fran a bunch of times. We've hugged and kissed in Buckhead, Georgia. He and I had a hug and kiss a bunch of times. We we embraced and we've hugged each other. And uh, everybody said he was too short, but they went to four of them back to back. You know what I mean? So like I said, is there's a lot of things you can measure. You can measure his shoe size and his hand size and his foot size. You can't measure his heart and, and heart to get it done. Doug Flutie, Doug Flutie wasn't 6'6 either. You know what I mean? But Doug Flutie was electric, you know? And that's the one thing I'll say to people. Uh, it's been a lot of them guys, man. It's the guy that was with the Green Bay Packers named uh, Don, uh, Don, think Don Majikowski, you know? Yeah. He was, he wasn't a big guy. He wasn't no six six guy. But them guys, some of them got that heart, man, and the electric. And uh, and let me tell you something. They're gonna give it all to you. They're gonna give it all to you. And I think that's the same thing we've got with Ben. I think you know Ben is gonna be one of them guys. He's gonna go somewhere and compete his ass off. And you know if they put him out there and give him a chance and give him an opportunity, they'll find out his heart. They'll find out you know what it is. You know what I mean? And that's that's all you can do. Ask for a guy that's gonna give you his best and give you an opportunity to win. You know, and I think he'll do that every way, any way he goes. Terry, I want to ask you this before I let you go, and I really appreciate the generosity of your time. We're talking with Terry Rubisky, longtime NFL assistant, former LSU, NFL running back, Hall of Famer, and uh, just, you know, such a pure take on football. It's so rare because NFL coaches, frankly, especially assistants, nobody wants to be talking about their team's game plan or why they draft, but, to, you know, to catch a, a sharp veteran like you that's, you know, uh, so willing to kind of share some of these insights, it's just such a treat for our fans. So I want to thank you for that. So kind of a two-part question, and this, this is open-ended. Uh, Nick Saban has obviously done a, a fantastic job uh, at Alabama, but he didn't necessarily have success with the Miami Dolphins. That was a small sample size. 
So my question is, are some coaches better cut out to coach in college than the NFL? And then, and then part two, Steve Spurrier, another guy, came to the NFL, didn't do much in a short window. Are some guys better cut out than others? And, and I don't think Georgia fans are worried about Kirby leaving, but could a guy like Kirby Smart transition to the NFL? Um, I think he could, but I don't think he should. I don't think right. he ever, I don't, you don't think I don't he plans think he to ever no. should. And here's why I said it to you. Um, I think that where it separates is when we're in college, I've never been there, but when you're in college, you have a bunch of grown kids, kids that's growing up, right? And those kids are chopping at the bit, man. They, 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 you know, they're like, uh, they're like, uh, they're like pit bulls on a chain. Let me go, let me go, let me go. And everything you say, and everything you say, and everything you ask them to do, they're hanging on it because they want to win and they believe in you. You know what I mean? They believe in you and they want to win. You know what I mean? And and they're willing to do anything, man. You can you can tell them, hey man, come on, let's. If they can go to downtown Atlanta, get on top of that Coca Cola building. You can tell them jump. They're gonna jump. You know what I mean? But those coaches that makes that transition that comes to, to to the next level and come up to this pro football deal, I don't care what you do. I don't care how many championships you won in college. I don't care where you coach that. I don't care. When you come to the NFL, you will not get that respect that them kids are giving you. And at the same time, those guys that's, uh, those guys that's in that pro football world, who think they're the best, and especially, you know, they're up there and they're up there high. It's hard to tell. You tell them the same thing I just told you. You tell them to climb up there on top of that building, that Coca-Cola building and jump. They say, okay, coach, you jump first. I mean, they, <laughs> you know I mean, they ain't looking to follow you nowhere. You know what I mean? And they ain't sitting on there waiting for this, waiting for that. Those guys are hard to coach the same way. I think that in, those, in, this, in that world of college football, those coaches and the great coaches – love developing men. They love taking boys and developing men and teaching them how to live and win and be winners. I think the same thing they try to do when they come to the pros, they try the same way, but the guys that's in the pros and kind of established, they're not interested in it. I am a man. I don't need you to teach me how to be a man. I think I'm a winner. I don't need you to teach me how to be a winner. It's just harder, you know? And I think, again, the difference I once heard was uh, players back in the day, um, players back in the day was more concerned with getting better, working hard, and winning Super Bowls. Today, I think guys are a little bit more concerned with, as Julio always tell me, their brand. You know, I got to take care of my brand. I got to protect my brand. Um, social media, you know, where am I going to get paid for this? Let me see if I can get me a commercial doing this. They got so many other things on their mind that following a great head coach isn't it. I think Kirby could have success anywhere he go. But I, I would tell him, if, if if he asked me my opinion, I'd say thumbs down, don't ever leave Georgia. There was a guy I knew that I loved to death, a great guy named, I think his name was Vince Dooley, that was at Georgia. And uh, yeah. the guy stayed there, and he stayed there until the well ran dry. And I'll tell Kirby, hey, man, listen, just ride it, ride it, ride it. And the day you want to retire, retire as a Georgia Bulldog. And uh, listen, I'll I'll be driving a convertible Mercedes, and you can ride on the back. I'll ride you through Buckhead. And we'll have a one-man parade. Just stay right there in Georgia to keep doing what you're doing. And I, I'd ask him to do that for the rest of his life. Terry, uh, Kirby might call you because now some of these kids getting paid here. And uh, I know, they, I know, yeah. They want to get paid to climb that Coca-Cola building. You tell yeah. me that's a little bit. 
this is a new this is a new challenge and certainly yes. uh the game has evolved again congratulations on uh, reading up on your background here the awards of excellence man honored with the great jimmy ray a guy that i had the honor of meeting along with fritz uh, Shermer, ernie yes. zampezi alex gibbs nfl pro football hall of famer terry yes. rubisky terry i want to thank you again uh for all your time tonight for all your insight i want to Maybe we'll try to get you back on here again on our show because uh, I think you did a lot of educating tonight and um, your experience is invaluable. So thank you so much for joining us from Anytime, Los Angeles. Mike. And I will follow up with you and um, we'll okay. be talking to you again sometime. Anytime you need me, man, I'm here. Anytime. All right. And Terry Robisky, NFL Hall of Famer, longtime NFL veteran. Really appreciated Terry joining our show tonight. Fantastic insight. You think about the places that Terry's coached, the NFL coaches that he's been around. And uh, the stories that he was able to tell us tonight were fantastic. That's going to be a wrap for tonight's Ingles on the Beat. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the production. Don't forget Wednesday night, Jeff Centel uh, before the hedges. Every day at 10 a.m., Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams. For Michael Carvel, this is Mike Griffith. Have a great week, everybody.